Good morning. I think it's quite obvious that I am the holiest person in this sanctuary. <laughs> the candles, for me. Um, the title of our sermon is, Are You a Sp Spiritual Baby? And I'd like to read to you uh, a few lyrics from a song that came out way back in 1982 by Amy Grant called Fat Baby. I know I'm a man, maybe you know him too. You never can tell, he might even be you. He knelt at the altar, and that was the end. He saved, and that's all that matters to him. His spiritual tummy can't take too much. One day a week, he gets his spiritual lunch. On Sunday, he puts on his spiritual best and gives his language a spiritual rest. He's just a fat little baby. He wants his bottle, and he don't mean maybe. He sampled solid foods once or twice, but he says doctrine leaves him cold as ice. He's been baptized, sanctified, redeemed by the blood, but his daily devotions are stuck in the mud. He knows the books of the Bible, and John 3.16, and he's got the biggest King James you've ever seen. I've always wondered if he'll grow up someday. He's mama's boy, and he likes it that way. If you happen to see him, tell him I said he'll never grow if he never gets fed. All right, you can see the title is, Are You a Spiritual Baby? And I know that sounds a little accusatory, and it's not warm and fuzzy, but um, spiritual maturity is, is a serious subject. And, and that's why today the verses you read before the, the deacon prayer there, let's take a look at those. Hebrews 5, 13 and 14, Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So Pastor John taught on this passage last week, and I thought the Lord had already laid something else on my mind to, to share with you today, but that really convicted me, spiritual maturity. And so that's what we'll talk about tonight. So may, uh, this morning, maybe I'm, I'm going to move this, by the way, before the podium tips over. I'll put it right here. Um, feel free to look at that later. That's 150 years old, or will be in a year. Um, so I may not, you know, carry around a big Bible like that, but oh my goodness, am I guilty of spiritual immaturity? And you know what it looks like most of the time? Is when you base your decisions on emotions or your preferences. On emotions or your preferences. And, you know, there's just certain, certain triggers that, that set me off. And I, I hate, and I can say hate because we should hate sin, we should hate evil. I hate to see it in myself and I hate to see it in others because I'm not alone. What does spiritual maturity look like in others? Well, sometimes it manifests itself in people who just up and leave the church. Why did they leave the church? Well, because the pastor said or did something or someone in church leadership did something and it didn't agree with their politics. 
Or they utter that famous sentence, I just wasn't being fed. Now, I'm not sure what other people mean when they say that sentence, but when I used to say that sentence, I wasn't being fed, that meant I wasn't being entertained. Spiritual immaturity can also manifest itself in lack of commitment and coming to church on a regular basis. The newest church studies have had to redefine what a regular attendee is for church. Do you want to know what it is? If you attend church three out of eight weeks, you are a regular attender. That's less than 50%, folks. But uh, enough about the outside world. I, I want to reveal to you some sinfulness in myself, how God has convicted me of that through the Holy Spirit and through Scripture, and then uh, offer a summary sentence for each of these areas that has helped me move down the road towards spiritual maturity. And trust me, I am still a long, long, long way from being spiritually mature, but I'm finally moving towards that. So again, I pray there's something for you in this brief message. And speaking of prayer, please allow me to do that now. Dear Lord, for these next few moments, please clear our head of all distractions, things we have to do, things have been done, things yet to do. Help us focus on you and the word you might have for each of us, Lord, because I'm fairly certain there's no one in this sanctuary who has arrived to maturity. So help us, Lord, to hear that nugget, that one nugget that can make a difference in our lives, perhaps in 2022, and for you eternally. In Jesus' name I pray, and everybody said, amen. Amen. All right, so the first area I was convicted in in my lack of spiritual maturity was in sharing the gospel. Now, you might say, oh, Tom, you're up here all the time talking about sharing the gospel. Yeah, maybe recently, but folks, for years, decades, I did not do that. For 15-some years, did accountability with somebody. And question number seven, have you shared the gospel this week with an unbeliever? And not only was the answer no, but the answer was not on your life, no. Because it was awkward and weird, and I didn't even want to start. And then... Certain verses from God's word kept showing up in my life. Let's look at this one from Matthew 28. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So, you know, the Great Commission, I was introduced and I knew I should be sharing but folks, I was too busy using my tongue, being judgmental, and being sarcastic. And then this verse came into my life. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Wow, I sure wasn't building anyone up. Sarcasm is the opposite of building someone up. So what, 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 it's, what could I most say that would build someone up, that would benefit them the most? Well, of course, the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at this verse. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. All right, Lord, I got it. I need to be sharing the gospel more. But then my fear started setting in. And I was wondering, well, how can I do that where it doesn't sound preachy? 
therefore doesn't alienate people. How can I use my tongue for good? And then I had further conviction from this verse. The soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. Okay, God, I get it. I get it. Either I'm going to be a tree of life or I'm going to crush other people's spirit. And so, because of my weak area of sharing the gospel, I decided to get serious. God convicted me to get serious. And it started with this huge, big, momentous thing. No, it started with a little one, two, three prayer. And you've heard it before. Every single morning, I said, dear God, please give me the opportunity to share the gospel today. Number two, and this isn't outlined. You can write it down if you want. Please give me the opportunity to share the gospel. Number two, please give me the wisdom to see that opportunity. And then here's the big one. Number three, please give me the courage to take that opportunity. Opportunity, wisdom, courage. And then I had to learn some way, some, some, I, I needed to have something in my back pocket to make like a security blanket for sharing the gospel. So, you know, you could do Roman roads, you could do the three circles on your smartphone. There's lots of things, different things you could do. And I know I've shared this before, but the one that clicked with me was the relationship model. And it's four simple steps, and I just love that word relationship because I grew up in a religion. And the relationship model for the gospel is we're created to have a relationship with him. And there's a verse in Colossians 1.16. All things were made through him and for him. Every morning his arms are wide open. Tom, come here. Secondly, it's a relationship we can't have because of what we've done. Everyone in here has sinned, including myself. Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So we're talking every pastor, every priest, every rabbi, every parent, every person. And there is a payment, if you will, for that sinfulness. And Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. Eternal separation from God. Okay, so we're created to have a relationship, but we can't have this relationship because of what we've done. And if that was the end of the story, what a lousy life this would be. We're all wasting our time here this morning. But there's two more points. We can have that relationship, not because of what we've done, but because of what he's done. That same verse, uh, Romans 6.23, that said, for the wages of sin is death, comma, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And further in Romans 5, it said, but God demonstrated his love toward us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then lastly, it's a relationship everyone must choose. Everyone must choose themselves. Your mom and dad can't save you. The legal system can't save you. The government can't save you. Being a Sunday school teacher can't save you. Your parents being founding members of the church can't save you. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, If you confess with your lips Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart he has risen from the dead, you will be saved. Verse 13, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So I committed that to memory because I needed that security blanket, right? In case somebody, you know, what, what am I going to say? 
And of course, I prefaced all that with the need for repentance. You can't have salvation without repentance. But all of that, folks, began with a simple prayer, building genuine relationships, and then trying to have God conversations with people I already knew. And here's one sentence. Uh, this is the first fill-in on your outline. If you have one, it looks like this. They're in the back if you didn't get one. So your first fill-in is, do you have any spiritual beliefs? That one sentence has generated a lot of conversations. And I'm not saying it has to be this sentence, okay? But something similar. This sentence is a little bit better than, do you believe in God? Okay? Because that sounds a little accusatory. And this sentence, you know, they think they have to give the right answer. This one just, what, what, what do you believe? What are your spiritual beliefs? And this sentence had a major impact. It just started conversations. Or... It could be something like that. Man, this happened this week. God is so cool. Like, he knew I was doing this, so he gave me this gift. I was with another member of this church, and they've been, you, those of you who are regular attendees here, we've been doing Who's Your One in 21. Well, guess what? 21's ticking down. And this person said to me, they've been praying for their one all year. And they've had conversations, but they were light. He was sort of dancing around it, either Either he was dancing around it or the recipient was dancing around it. And this person said to me, this week I'm calling my one or I'm going to go see my one and I'm going to say, hey, listen, man, our church was doing this thing called Who's Your One in 21? And you were my one. And I prayed for you every day. And can you listen to what I have to say for just a couple minutes? And then he said, either I or him are going to end up in tears, but I'm going to share the gospel with my one. That really convicted me. Because my who's my one hasn't made, we, we had some progress, but not a lot. And I think I'm going to use that same strategy this week. Listen, man, this is what we were doing. Can I share one more time with you? Do you lack spiritual maturity with regards to sharing the gospel? What are you going to do about it? Not the church, but you. Just like salvation, you can't be a baby. You got to be an adult. You have to make that decision yourself. The second area where I lacked spiritual um, maturity was in my behaviors, my behaviors. I felt like that Paul in that famous passage from Romans 7, why in the world do I keep doing the things I don't want to do? And then this verse came into my life. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. I wanted to change. I was so sick and tired of some of these same behaviors I was doing. And so I started praying mightily. And God slowly, ever so slowly, began to make changes. Now listen to me, folks. He didn't just make changes. He made radical changes in my life. And the first one I can really remember like, oh my gosh, I really am different. Was happened to me when I was still working. I, I was a principal of an elementary school and lots of great things come along with that. But you know what else comes along with that? 636 kids and a staff of 75 teachers. And issues come up. And this was all about changing my attitude when those issues came up. This isn't pop psychology. This is a changed heart by Jesus Christ. When those issues would come up, 
I, instead of seeing them as problems, I would see them as a challenge that God was giving me and he would be with me through it. And man, that changed everything. Instead of being blown over every time I got one of those phone calls or there was that little notepad that said, call Mrs. Brown. And I know Mrs. Brown didn't want to tell me how great I was. Instead of being blown over, I'm like, okay, Lord, I know you allowed this to happen. I know you're in it. And you're going to be with me through it. So instead of crying why, I went to what? What are you going to teach me, Lord? If any of you are spiritually mature in the area of just overreacting, God can change your heart. God can change your heart. <clears throat> and there are other behaviors that he changed too. Some were just simple day-to-day -day things like my driving. You know, you cut me off, boy, I was getting up on your rear end and I was going to wag my finger and I was going to say things. But my biggest one was when everyone was in line waiting and some mm -hmm would come up the side right? And bypass everyone because they were special. So I would pull my car halfway over because I was Eric Estrada and I was the highway police and I was going to stop them. And God changed all that. You know, Tom, just stay in your lane. Literally, stay in your lane. And pray for them. Lord, please be with them because the way they're driving, you need to be with them. And I could just feel the stress melting off. Um, I'd be worried about unexpected bills, and the Lord changed my heart to it was his money, not ours. Even coming to church for years, I had to go to church. Even when I first started here, for, for happiness in the marriage, I came to church. Now I get to come to church, and I can't wait to go to church. It used to be when we went on vacation, one of the perks was yay. We don't have to go to church. Now, Debbie and I go to a different city, and I get all excited thinking, I wonder where we can worship there and see something new and learn something new. Finally, the last area where God began to, and I'm a little ashamed to say this, but I know I'm not alone, was my thought life. My thought life. Dealing with impure thoughts, whether they were sexual or anger or jealousy or whatever, God sent a verse that helps me to this day grow in this area. Let's look at this verse. Philippians 4.8 Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Man, I committed that to memory and now when my mind goes there, I say that. And by the time I get halfway through that, this is gone. And it is nothing but the power of God's word. I cannot emphasize enough the importance of scripture memorization for gaining spiritual maturity. Again, God didn't just change me. He radically changed me. So your sentence number two on your fill-in is, if your faith hasn't changed you, it probably hasn't saved you if your faith hasn't changed you it probably hasn't saved you now don't get me wrong folks i am not elevating these sentences above scripture they're they're based on scripture and just ways that you helped me to remember in fact this one says probably because i'm not the judge god is 
And I know there are deathbed confessions. And I know that you know, God's the one that determines. But for most of us, we have a long life to serve the Lord. And if we are doing nothing to serve the Lord, that means there's no evidence that we have a changed heart. And that sentence can be really scary. That can be really scary if you have adult children or grandchildren who aren't living for the Lord. And, and you're, I don't mean to sound too judgmental, but you're, you're perhaps fooling yourself if you think, well, I know at age eight they, they came up front or they made a commitment. But if they're 48 now and they haven't done anything in the past, is that 30 years? My math is terrible. That's 40? Thanks, babe. If, that, if they haven't done anything in the past 40 years, hmm. Now, I don't want that to fill you with despair. I want it to fill you with urgency and prayer for opportunities to share the gospel. So, do you lack spiritual maturity with regards to behaviors in your life? What are you going to do about it? Last one, last one. The third area, lack of spiritual maturity in my life, was getting past being a people pleaser. I know that sounds very noble, but it's not. God was not the number one priority in my life. Your opinion of me was my number one opinion. Uh, priority in my life. My opinion of myself was number one. Scriptures that convicted me included this one, which you all know, Exodus 23. You shall have no other gods before me. Now, I memorized that bad boy when I was a little bad boy, and I had that down. And when I grew up into a man, I, and they were uh, saying that uh, judges couldn't have this plaque in their courtrooms anymore, I was all sorts of righteous and indignant about that. But what a hypocrite, because I sure wasn't living it in my heart. And then another passage. Let me give you a little background. This one really got to my heart. It's about two sisters, Martha and Mary. They had a brother named Lazarus. Maybe you've heard of him. Uh, in the Gospel of John, Jesus did a little something, something for him. No big deal. Just brought him back from the dead. But anyhow, uh, in Matthew, Jesus goes to their house. And comes in their house, and Martha's like, ah. and so Martha's running around with her head cut off getting the dishes and getting the bread and setting out chairs or mats or whatever they sat on back then. But Mary is at Jesus' feet listening to every word he says. And Martha, I, I got to give her guts, yeah, or, you know, she had courage. She says, Lord, look at me running around and doing all this, and she's not doing anything. Tell her to help. You know, sounds like a little child, right? Here's Jesus' response. Martha, Martha. <laughs> this always reminds me of the Brady Bunch, right? Marsha, Martha. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. That went right to my heart because I'm a guy who worries about the details and this and that. And that went right to my heart. I need to make God my number one priority. And then the final verse on this subject is Matthew 6.33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. His kingdom. Not the kingdom of Tom. Or, when I started here and I thought I was doing well, not the kingdom of East Shore Baptist Church. 
I struggled for so long. How can I get more of those perfect suburban families around here to come to East Shore Baptist Church? We need that intact marriage, husband, wife, and 2.5 kids here at East Shore. And I'm not sure what that half kid looked like and which half it was. That could, but anyhow, the Lord convicted me. It wasn't about that. And so finally, I started to stop worrying about that and just sharing the gospel with lost people over at George Park at all the different community events and worrying about, and uh, focusing on Bethesda Mission and walking through the woods down by Shypoke looking for homeless people to give food and a, and a gospel of John. And God's taking care of East Shore just fine without me. So the summary sentence for number three of pleasing others with spiritual maturity. Here's your number three fill in. I do care about you a lot, but I care about him even more. I do care about you a lot, but I care about him even more. So I, I was going to have this sentence, you know, just say, I don't care, I'm serving Jesus. But that sounds angry and frankly is a little self-promoting. Because the truth is, I still care about your opinions. And I know there's lots of people pleasers out there with me. We do care. But by saying this sentence, either out loud to the person I'm allowing to make me feel guilty, or just saying it to myself, I can feel the guilt melting away. So this verse, plus others that we've gone over, they've allowed me the clarity of knowing that everything I do is for his kingdom. Quit worrying about trying to please others. And if the person I'm dealing with, and they think that I say this sense, listen man, I hear what you're saying, and I do care about that. But I'm going to do this because I think it's the right and godly thing. If they find that overly pious or whatever, you know, still lovingly, that's their issue, not mine. And I'm clear of guilt because I'm going to serve God first. Do you lack spiritual maturity with regards to making God a priority in your life? If so, what are you going to do about it? So, in conclusion, guys, are you a growing, spiritually maturing adult or person, teenager, whatever? Not mature, but maturing. Are you on that road? I've seen lots of spiritual maturity here at East Shore Baptist Church. A lot. I've seen folks in this church upset or concerned with something church leadership said or did, I saw it this week, and you know what they did? They didn't quit the church. Do you know what they did? They talked to the person having issues with, one-on-one -on -one or one-on-two. They didn't talk to others behind their backs. They didn't let it fester in their hearts and create all this bitterness. Through prayer, they talked to that person, and they either worked it out, or they agreed to disagree because it wasn't a salvation issue, what they were concerned about. I've seen people at this church who wanted more solid food, who wanted to be fed more, and you know what they did? They increased their own independent Bible study, or they started a new ministry here at East Shore Baptist Church. So they were being fed. Unfortunately, I've also seen a lot of examples of growing spiritual immaturity. Folks who are stuck being spiritually immature and respond impulsively through their emotions and preferences. So, last sentence, folks. It's time for me 
to grow more. It's time for you to grow more. So let's all be more intentional. Let's all be more prayerful in 2022 to become more spiritually mature for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen?